are in Revelation chapter 14, so you can turn to Revelation 14, and we're going to start there, and I always recap just a little bit. I'm trying not to do as much now because I've done it so very much. It's all in the notes. I try to recap if you're new, you haven't been uh, listening, or, or you've just started in the series. This is actually lesson 25, and we're on Revelation 14. We're going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. You know, I am just excited about our Heavenly Father. He loves us enough to show us the future. And, and when John was, uh, was put on the Isle of Patmos, God graciously talked to the beloved Apostle John and just showed him what will happen before Jesus comes back. And he did us a great service. So see, uh, we're, we're living in ridiculous nuts times right now, but you, just, you know how things are going to end up. And it helps us to prepare. We can prepare our families. We can prepare our children. And we can be ready for the eventuation of what is to come. So I'm really grateful that God revealed the, the in, in scheme of things to, um, to John on the Isle of Patmos uh, back in the first century. And we have it today. So we're at Revelation 14. And I just love, and I'm going to come back to the charts and leave it on the, leave it on the screen. I'm coming right back. But I just got to read this because it blessed socks off me. I got them back on, but it blessed me when I read it. Revelation 14, 1, then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. That's in Jerusalem. And with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, when I read that first, I said, behold, I looked. And there's a lamb. Now there's the Lord Jesus. Now we're going to talk about it in a little bit. But, you know, Jesus was also revealed, had revealed himself as a lamb in Revelation chapter 5. God was seated on his throne, had a scroll in his right hand. And nobody's worthy enough to open the scroll in God's right hand on his throne. And then, and then they see a lamb standing, a slain lamb that perhaps still had the blood on him. Stand back up. He was a standing lamb. And it was the Lord Jesus. He, he was the lamb of sacrifice. Now he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But here's the lamb standing in Revelation 14. Revelation 13, the Antichrist is uh, all of Revelation 13. We looked at the last part of that last time. Revelation 13, oh my goodness, the whole chapter talks about the beast out of the sea, the beast out of the earth, talks about the Antichrist and the false prophet. And they just wreak havoc on planet earth. You know, three and a half years into the seven years that God showed Daniel in Daniel 9. We've talked about all this in lessons past. He just goes haywire and just really begins to persecute people in an awful way. And it's the worst time that earth has ever known is during this terrible, terrible time when the Antichrist shows up. And then, and then right in the middle of that. So we read about that and we studied that in Revelation 13. Here's Revelation 14. He just, God says, now, now in the middle of all this chaos, can I show you something? There's a lamb. Jesus is standing on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is right where the temple was built, right there. The city of the great king, right there in Jerusalem. And it's as though he's saying, it looks like all hell is broken loose and nothing's working right. But just be aware I am watching over my people. Now, doesn't that bless you? Regardless of the chaos that we sense, regardless of what we're going through, God Almighty, in an overarching way, is watching over us. How many know he is our shepherd? And how many know we do not lack? How many hear me? I don't know about you, but that blessed me when I read that. So we're going to come back to Revelation 14.1. The timing of Revelation chapter 14, we're still in 
the seven years of what people typically call the tribulation. It's really the seven years of, that God showed Daniel that end the age that we're living in today and, and that uh, encompassed the time just before Jesus Christ comes back to earth. And so that's the time frame, the literal time frame of Revelation 14. This whole chapter is the last three and a half years of that seven-year period. The Antichrist has, uh, the Jewish temple has been rebuilt in Israel and, uh, and the Jews have been able to, the Hasidic Jews have been able to offer animal sacrifices. They're not believers. They don't believe in Jesus. But see, God has a covenant with their forefather Abraham. And he's going to let them do what they want to do because he still wants to reveal Jesus to them. And so he lets them do so that temple's rebuilt and all that. And then the Antichrist comes in and, and just desecrates their temple. And does something just terrible there. Maybe puts an altar to himself there. And just terrible. And then that's three and a half years into that seven-year period. And, um, and we'll be here. Now, a lot of people don't think so, but I believe we'll be here. And, uh, and then he gets really nasty after that. It gets really, really bad. So Revelation 14 is just kind of, it's, it's during that time period and the Antichrist has just been a stinker. He's just been a terrible person, persecuting Jews and Christians worldwide, a very extremely lawless person. Uh, anything goes, any lifestyle goes, any behavior goes, with the exception of if you believe in the Judeo-Christian ethic, your, your name is mud to him. And if you're a Jew, he doesn't like Jews. And he's going to persecute you. And if he can't kill you. And that's just the kind of way the, the world is at that time. And if you look on the chart, here's what we're talking about. We're going to be here. So this is when the Antichrist reveals himself with a peace treaty. And then, and then we'll be all the way up from here. If you can see my little green dot. I don't know if you can see it online. I hope so. All the way up to here. We're going to be here. So we're going to be here through. We've talked about in Revelation 6. We've talked about the... The uh, seals that are on the scroll in God's right hand, those seals are broken. We're here. When the first seal is broken, the Antichrist reveals himself. Wars break out in different parts of the world. There's famine. There's death. There's martyrdom. And then the very end of that, end of that time, the uh, Antichrist turncoats. Here's three and a half years into it. We'll be here for that. The church will be here. You will be here. Your family will be here. And, uh, and then right after that, the, the seals continue to be opened. And then the last one, the sun, moon, and stars darken. And that's a sign that Jesus is about to come back. The rapture of the church occurs right here. And this is, you know, here's three and a half years into it. That's when the Antichrist uh, desecrates the Jewish temple. And then, you know, then all this has got to occur. And then right here's the rapture. So, you know, maybe, you know, three and a half, four and a half, five years or so. So, so once the peace treaty signed, whatever that is, and I think we're going to see it. We don't know when it could be soon. Then you just figure on ish, five ish, four and a half, five ish years right here. But right here's the wrath of God. When the trumpets begin to blow, Revelation chapter 8, we've talked about this in great detail. All of it's on the website. When the, when the trumpet judgments begin to occur, that first trumpet judgment, that's when the day of the Lord begins. The day of the Lord is when God's wrath is poured out on planet earth. I say these things over and over just to get, get you used to them. The day of the Lord doesn't encompass that whole seven-year period. It's the very end of it. It may last maybe, maybe two years for those, for those six trumpets to blow and, and their judgments that come with the trumpets. It looks like meteorites hit the earth and the water is polluted, the vegetation dies, and then demon spirits, the uh, last, uh, the uh, trumpets five and six, 
demon spirits come out of the bottomless pit and torment people who do not walk with God and refuse to bow their knee to Jesus. Just a terrible, we won't be here for that. But this is the time period that we're going to be talking about in Revelation 14. And then when the seventh seventh trumpet uh, blows, Jesus actually comes back. That's Revelation chapter 11. We talked about that. And then... uh, and, and so here's where we are. So I want to I drop it right there and get right back to the notes. You can go on our website and look at the notes and follow along with me. But let's just go verse to verse, verse by verse a little bit. Here we are right in the throes of the great tribulation. Jesus again in Matthew 24, uh, 21. If, it, 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 unless those days were shortened, no believers could, could survive it. It's so intense. So catastrophic, so awful for everybody. It's so awful you hardly want to talk about it. But we have to be warned and we have to be aware that that is coming down the pike. And somehow God will make a way for us during that time. Some of us may be martyrs for Jesus. And uh, some of us may lose our lives for the cause of Jesus according to where we live in the world. And it's according to what, what the nation we live in allows as to whether or not the rule and reign of the Antichrist will affect uh, particular believers in certain nations. We in America, we tend to think we're immune from all these things, but my friends, we are not immune from the persecution of anybody, even the Antichrist. How many hear me? We think, we, we think we're the apple of God's eye, but how many know God loves the people in India just as much as he loves us? Yes or no? He loves the people in every nation in Africa on that continent as much as he loves us, yes or no? He loves the Europeans just as much as he loves Americans. He loves, he loves uh, Russians just as much as he loves Americans. He loves people in China just as much as he loves Americans. Yes or no? Yes? Indians, Asians, all of us. Central America, South America. But somehow us in America, well, we just a little bit privileged. No, you're not. You're just like everybody else. Jesus loves you just the same. Yes or no? So, you know, we just need to, and this idea that we're going to be whisked away, I'm not sure why we're thinking that way. And a lot of people look at me sometimes with disdain when I say this and say he doesn't know what he's talking about. Hopefully not. But in case I do, pay attention. That's what I've been saying. So anyway, Revelation 14, here we are. I look, behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion with him, 144,000 having his father's name written on their forehead. So again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Revelation 13, the Antichrist, the false prophet, they're leading people to accept, uh, the false prophet points to the Antichrist, leading people to accept his ideology, his ideology of lawlessness. And it really looks like that they're winning, and, uh, and except for the lamb appears on Mount Zion. And that lets you know, they're really not winning. And uh, God knows what's going on. And he'll bring the Antichrist and his regime to a, a cataclysmic end. And so here we are, it says, the lamb standing on Mount Zion with him, 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, that may be confusing to you. Just understand, how many know God made a covenant with Abraham? Back in Genesis chapter 12, it was renewed, renewed in several passages through the first parts of Genesis. Nonetheless, God made a covenant with Abraham that is an eternal covenant. And God loves the Jewish race. From the Jewish race came our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes or no? 
And so he hasn't finished. He's not stopped loving the Jews. And he has a program, so to speak, for the Jewish race. And that program is going to be fulfilled. Part of that is, even though they, they never accepted Jesus as Messiah, it's really amazing. When I read this, I go, wow, God, you're just... Um, you're full of so much compassion and love, even though people are rebellious. You may be watching me online, and you just got a rebellious sneak streak, and you know you need God, but you keep saying, not right now. And maybe you're in the room and do that. You know what? God still loves you. And you know, the Holy Spirit will do- still dog your tracks if somebody will just pray for you. How many hear me? And he'll let you. So here are the Jews. You know, they didn't accept, but here's 144,000 of them that God has marked specially by him, some way perhaps in the spirit realm so that they wouldn't die during this cataclysmic time uh, right after the Antichrist turncoats and begins to persecute Christians and Jews three and a half years into the seven-year period. So they're marked, and their mark is shown again, uh, Revelation 7. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. He cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth. See, saying, don't harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we've sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And that's Revelation 7. So you see them again here in Revelation 14. And God has somehow put a mark on them so that regardless of how tough it got, it comes. And then when the trumpet judgments in Revelation 8 and 9 happen and the meteorites fall and the water is polluted and the vegetation dies and, you know, perhaps the oxygenation of the of the, um, of the uh, atmosphere is lessened because the vegetation dies. We get our oxygen from plants, you know. So, you know, that somehow they live and they make it and they, and they don't die. And then, and then uh, um, anyway, and then the demon spirits attack people. Somehow they're still protected. So um, the lamb is there. The 144,000 are there. And, um, and uh, God has sealed the 144,000 denoting that he owns them. He's going to protect them. What I want you to see in verse 1 is that the lamb is in control. He knows what happens, what's happening. Soon he's going to conquer the Antichrist and his kingdom. And, and that's he's overarching. He's watching and seeing and observing what's happening. Verse 2, And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, the elders. And no one can learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. So, so you know, Revelation 14, 1 starts and he, he sees in heaven, sees the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. He sees the 144,000. Then, then here in verse 2, he hears. Now, he didn't say he saw. He heard a voice in heaven and he heard, he heard singing and worship. He heard in heaven, he probably remembered what he saw in Revelation 4 with the, with the creatures around the throne of God crying out, holy, holy, and the elders bowing down before him. And that was coming from, from, uh, that was coming from heaven. And so again, uh, he hears a voice here in uh, verse 2 from heaven. And, uh, and so the vision again moved from earth to heaven and, and he sees this 144,000 and, and, and on earth. And then, and then in heaven, he hears the voices of the saints. And that's where we'll be. And what I want you to know in Revelation 14, where will you, you be? In heaven. You'll be some of those voices that John heard singing, worshiping while all the hell is breaking loose. Don't forget, you know, probably a year and a half or so. 
at most two years after the Antichrist turncoats, we're going up in the rapture, y'all. Is that good news? And, and here we are in heaven, Revelation 7, 9 through 12. After these things I looked, behold, a great multitude, going back to Revelation 7, uh, which no one can number of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palm branches in their hand. That's you. And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. To the Lamb, all the angels stood around the throne. The elders, four living creatures, fell on their faces. Before the throne, worship God, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, honor, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever, ever. Amen. You're singing that. Is that good news? So John heard you singing. That's your future. So, so the strange thing about Revelation 14, it contains the same people. That Revelation 7 contains. You got 144,000 and you got the saints that have already been raptured. They're in heaven. And all you know of the saints at this moment, the raptured church is we is up there. Is that good news? So that should excite you. So Revelation 14 gives a little more information about the 144,000. Then, then the scene. So he started out, uh, he, he started out with a lamb. And, and, then, and then he hears heaven. Then he comes back to the earth. And it says in verse 4. And so he talks about the 144,000 in verse 3 who were redeemed from the earth. Verse 4, Revelation 14. These are the ones, the 144,000, who were not defiled with women for their virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Now I'll explain this. These, uh, these were redeemed from among men. Being first fruits, we'll talk about the word first fruits in just a minute, to God, to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault. And you see in brackets are the, is the phrase before the throne of God. Other texts, that phrase is not there. I looked at a number of Bible translations and that, that last phrase is, is not found. Uh, it was added by the translators uh, to help us understand. So again... So again, these, these people are on earth. And in fact, Revelation 14, 5, it says, No lie was found in their mouth, they're blameless. And that stops there. It doesn't say they're before the throne of God. Revelation 14, 5, New Living, they have told no lies, they're without blame. But it leaves out that last bracketed text before the throne of God. See, they're living. How many know you're before the throne of God? You're living your life and he's watching everything you do. But this scene is actually on earth. And it says of these 144,000, uh, they were not defiled with women, they're virgins. Now, 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 what is that talking about? Is that saying they never had sex? Now, let's get real here. What is it saying? Well, sex in God's eyes is pure in marriage. Yes or no? So that's not defi- sex within the bounds of marriage is not defiling. So they see that's not what he's talking. These are the ones who are not defiled with women for their virgins. These are the ones that follow the lamb wherever he goes. Now, now here's probably what this is talking about. Most commentators go here. Sexual promiscuity is so bad during the reign of the Antichrist. That means anything goes, any lifestyle goes, any behavior goes, regardless of how old or young you are, Sex is a big deal. And these guys, they have nothing to do with his ideology of looseness and licentiousness and lawlessness with respect to, uh, to, uh, to sexual promiscuity. And it, it may, in, in fact, some commentators said during this time, the world may revert back and be like 
the pagan gods that you read about in uh, historical, um, historical cultures uh, in these regions, you know, uh, thousands of years ago, where they worshiped their false gods with sexual orgies, with paid temple prostitutes for their, for their pagan gods. They also did that in Rome during Bible days. God had to get on the Corinthian believers because the men got saved and they'd still go to the pagan temples where they had paid prostitutes. And he said, what? No, you're not. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God, and you're not your own. Don't be doing that. So the Antichrist... He's probably into all that. So it's a really, really, really extremely wicked time. But these 144,000, they said, we ain't messing with We're not doing that. We're sold out to Jesus. We're sold out to God. We're not going there. We're not doing that. And so these uh, these 144,000, they follow the Lamb of God as their shepherd. And that says something. These were Jews. and, And heretofore, they probably didn't accept Jesus as Savior But all the hell, so to speak, they've been going through during the reign of the Antichrist after he turned coach three and a half years into it. Boy, they're saying there's something going on here. And somehow God reveals himself and and Jesus as their Messiah. And they come to Jesus. They follow the lamb as their shepherd. They refuse to follow the Antichrist, his regime. And they refuse to participate in the sexual lawlessness. uh, And hence they're virgins before God. That's the reason it says that. Then it says they're first fruits to God. And this this first fruit word may indicate that they literally become evangelists for Jesus. The the rapture's already happened. The church is already gone. And, And the trumpet judgments are happening. I want you to see what's going on. The rapture has occurred. Revelation 8, Revelation 9. They're in the full throes of that right now here where we're reading. And and the church is not here to witness. And so these Jews that have come to Jesus, they say Jesus is Messiah. And they're sharing him with all kinds of people. And it could be during this awful mean time when meteorites fall and and the water is polluted and the vegetation dies and the sun darkens a little bit more. All hell breaks loose. People are getting saved. There could be, a, some Bible scholars believe there's a tremendous revival during this time. Maybe the Joel 2 revival, some think. We, we, don't, we don't know, but they're, they're giving credence to that by this phrase, first fruits to God. They are first fruits to God. In their mouth was uh, no deceit found. So again, Uh, Next in the text, we have three angels that have some messages um, um, to to give an opposite message of what the Antichrist and the false prophet are saying, uh, as inspired by the devil. Revelation 14, 6 and 7, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. So this first angel mentions that God's judgment is looming on the earth. And, and the, the, the message here, when he says, God made the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Remember in Revelation 8, when the meteorites or the star falls from heaven, the text says... Remember it says it pollutes the water and the earth. It affects the earth, the vegetation right here. That's it right there. An angel during that same time is saying, hey, hey, guys, hey, hey, don't listen to the Antichrist. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He loves you. He never changes. He'll protect you. He'll help you. And the, and the 144,000 Jews that are here that are protected by God with that mark, they're helping him. And those angels are stirring them up. Go tell the story. Be bold. Resist the Antichrist. Tell the story so that people can be saved. Right towards the very end of this time, a horrible time, even the church is in heaven. God still wants people to be saved. Isn't that awesome? One thing I, I don't believe, some people believe that Antichrist won't be revealed until the, the hinderer is removed. And they think that's the church and hence the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit never leaves the earth, y'all. He was here at creation looking over the face of the deep. The Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the water. He never leaves. He's the ever-presence of God. He's everywhere in all creation, in every, uh, every molecular structure. He is there. You can't get away. In fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 139, If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. So the Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. Well, maybe we'll talk about that another time. Then who is the one that hinders? Maybe we'll talk about, but not tonight. Just wanted you to see this angel. He's got a big story. He's saying, hey, uh, don't, don't listen to Antichrist. Listen to God. And that was his message. Then uh, let's see where we are. Verse 8. Then another angel, angel number 2, followed him through the sky, uh, shouted, saying, Babylon is fallen. It's fallen the great city. Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So the second angel declares, Babylon is judged and fallen. Now, Babylon refers to, uh, to two things. It refers to, yes, a city in the Middle East. And, and really, Babylon is the origin of all pagan religions. And Bible scholars say that the Tower of Babel, that's where Babylon got its name. The Tower of Babel is basically an astrological tower. And it was a, a defiant tower against God, against the knowledge of God in the earth. And, and those that wanted to worship false gods, when, when the devil came and deceived them, they were building an astrological tower to worship the signs of the zodiac and, and just kind of thumb their, their nose at God saying, we don't need you. And here it is. He says, literally, Babylon is fallen. But then the Babylon also refers to a, to a system, a, a, a religious system, and a political system that rebels against God as laws as kingdoms. So again, this Babylonian system from the beginning of time has two main ideas. And, and is, y'all, it's in the earth right now. Uh, it's always wanted to create a religious system that is opposed to God and his kingdom and his laws and then create a one world lawless government. That's what Babylon was about. That's what the Tower of Babel was about. And God and, and Satan through the Antichrist trying to do that one more time. Just one more time. He actually thinks he can do it. How stupid is this guy? Why do you want to follow a loser? The dude's going to be, Satan's going to be in the lake of fire. So is the false prophet and the Antichrist. Why would I want to follow somebody like that there? I will, I'm not going to do it. How about you? So anyway, y'all here? So again, this Babylonian system, this angel says, hey, this is all going to hit the deck. Babylon has fallen, the great city, because she's made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her uh, fornication, her passionate immorality. Another translation says, then verse 9, then a uh, third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, now here's third angel, 
First angel said, follow God, don't listen to Antichrist. Second angel said, Babylon, this false religious, this political system, it's going to hit the dirt, and Babylon itself, the real city, is going to fall. Third angel, here he is. Third angel follows them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, his image receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So this angels, he's running all over the place saying, hey, hey, don't be messing with the Antichrist. He's going to bite the dust. He's going to be in hell. And anybody that takes his mark, that is, if you have allegiance to his system, you're going to get his judgment. Don't go there. Don't do that. And this, this angel continually gives the warning. And so he particularly says to those during this time, and there will be considerable pressure during the time the Antichrist rises to power and does whatever he does in whatever parts of the world he's in. There'll be considerable pressure to take the mark so you can pay your mortgage, so you can, you can buy gas, so you can buy food and buy clothes, and you can do the things you need to do economically. And uh, it could, if, if this happens worldwide, if the nations acquiesce to that, there's tremendous pressure in this angel saying, please, please, if you do that, you're really giving your heart allegiance to this system, this Babylonian system. It is going to fall. Please, please, please don't do it. So again, the first angel warns the people that they should trust God, not the kingdom of the Antichrist, which will soon be given over to judgment. Second angel, to recap, warns of Babylonians. Uh, Babylon's fall, and it falls in one day. We'll look at that in Revelation 17 and 18. That Babylonian system falls, and the actual city falls. And, and all of the one-world government uh, imposed on the world, it, hits, it bites the dust. It does not work, and it ends in ruin. Then the third angel warns people to refuse the mark given by the Antichrist, because if they do, they'll receive his judgment at the very end. So, Again, a lot of, a lot of Bible uh, scholars believe there may be a tremendous revival, even though the church is already in heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The gospel will be preached, these 144,000 Jews. Hey, they, they, uh, they, they see the light. And God perhaps uses them in a tremendous way. And people come to Jesus during this time. Many people are martyred during this time. Many people, because of the atrocious atmosphere of the earth with meteorites falling and with a with a polluted water and with a vegetation turning green it's just a really really dark dark bleak time and then the uh, third angel speaks a little bit more verse 12 revelation 14 here's the patience of the saints here are those who keep the commands of god and the faith of jesus and he encourages people that are alive during that time who make jesus lord they were sinners hey they maybe they're people that you know now who absolutely refused to go to church with you, refuse the gospel that you shared, refuse the way, the truth, the life. His name is Jesus. And, and, and somehow they've made it through this time. And here they are during this time, just before the absolute wrath of God, the final wrath of God falls. And they, and they, and they make Jesus, Lord. Here's this angel is saying, hey, hey, be patient. Keep the commands of God. Stay true to Jesus. He encourages the people uh, to stay true in this extremely difficult time in human history. Then, verse 13, Then I heard a voice from heaven say to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. 
Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Now, you know, I've done a bunch of funerals and actually read that in the context of someone going to be with Jesus. The actual truth of what it's talking about is right at the very end of the age of wrath during those years when the wrath of God is falling, it's written to those people, if you die, you're really blessed. If something happens and you're martyred for your faith or the atmosphere of the earth just grabs your physical body and you die, you're going to heaven and you ought to be really, really glad. And that's what he reveals in verse 13. It's a comfort to those that are here. Next, um, it's revealed to John that at the very close of this seven-year period, and, and, and there's a little time period I mentioned. There's an additional, I'll talk about it more later, not tonight. There's an additional 45 days and an additional 30 days. Really, I should say additional 30 days and then another 40 days attached to it according to Daniel chapter 12 where God just f- finally cleanses the earth of all of the defilements of sin and Satan's rule. And so this angel comes and, um, uh, and, and there are two reapings on earth by two different angels. So let's look at this. Revelation 14, 14 through 16. Then I looked, behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle. Does Jesus come to the... Did, did the angels in Acts 1, didn't they say to the disciples that Jesus, it says he went up in a cloud? And didn't they say that he would come back just like that on a cloud, maybe the glory of God around, right? Yes or no? Coming on the clouds. And then Daniel 7, Daniel saw, saw, saw God, and there he is coming on the clouds. So again, he sat on the cloud and he said, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust a sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. I want to submit to you this first reaping, uh, this first angel that comes and reaps a harvest. It's a rapture. Listen to this. It's another rapture of the people who during this hellacious time, the rapture of the church has already happened. These are people who come to Jesus during this last three and a half years, this last couple of years, when these trumpet judgments have happened, and, and the Antichrist is at his absolute worst. And, and it's just hard to live on earth. Some of, these, uh, the, some of these people have died and then some are left on earth. Just before the worst happened, God takes them away the way he took the church away before the trumpet judgments occurred. I bet you've never heard of that. That's what that, those verses seem to reveal. Verses um, 14, 15, 16, they say nothing about judgment the reaping is not a judgment it's the it's those who have come to Jesus taken off the earth and then most probably as with the rapture of the church when the church rapture occurs just before that first trumpet right during after that sixth seal in Revelation 6 you know the dead in Christ rise first right that's what Paul said first Thessalonians 4 and then and then those who are alive and remain are caught up it's going to be the same way I want you to see something here. Just before the wrath of God, the final wrath of God with the seven, there's seven bowls of judgment. They're the very last judgments that we're going to read about. Revelation 15 prepares us. Revelation 16 talks about it. That's the very last vestiges of judgment that hit the earth. 
And just before that, I just want you to see the mercy of God. Even people who have come to Jesus during this time of the wrath of God, he raptures them out. And then another angel comes. And look at this, Revelation 14, 17. Then another angel came out. I've got some scripture in the notes. I'm not going to read. I'll let you do that. Revelation 14, 17. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, also having a sickle. So the first one, it's a rapture of the people that came to Jesus during that terrible time. Well, here's another one came out of the temple. He had a sharp sickle, just like the first. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of, of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And we call that the grapes of wrath. There's some books by that title, huh? Uh, so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth, threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trampled outside the city. The blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridle, 1,600 uh, 1, furloughs, over 180 to 184 miles. So he said the blood splattered up to the necks of the horses. This is the final battle. This, is the, this, this second reaping is literally the final cleansing of the earth by those who have defiled it by sin. The final cleansing of the earth from the Antichrist and everyone who has followed him. All of the fallen angels, all of the demon spirits, all, who, all the humans who have yielded to the Antichrist. This second reaping includes the bold judgments that we're going to read about in Revelation 15 and 16. And it also includes the, the, uh, what's often talked about, the battle of Armageddon. It also includes that. This is the final battle that completely cleanses all of, the, all of the defilement of sin from the earth. And that's what these verses are talking about. And so, uh, and so again, what I want you to see is God's got everything under control. You know, for a while it looks like he doesn't. So we're living in a time right now, things are topsy-turvy. Life as we've known it is, has been so challenged. This particular year, there are more challenges to come. What I want you to see is the overarching grace, mercy, and sovereignty of God. <coughs> Excuse me, over all creation. That regardless of who you are or what time period you live in, God watches over your life. Is that good news? And what may look to you like helter-skelter, crazy, nuts time, understand God's got an overarching plan for human life. You know, Satan snatched the world uh, from God's control when he got Adam and Eve to yield to sin in Genesis chapter 3. In the book of Revelation, it's showing God in his great mercy over thousands of years revealed his love by revealing his son through the, through the, uh, Israelite, through the Jewish race, through the nation of Israel. And God showed through the blood sacrifices that they gave from the blood of animals on an, on, in, in a temple in the Old Testament. That it was blood that covers and then finally through Jesus' blood that cleanses sin. And then God has allowed us in the church age to preach the gospel to every creature. And then, and then just in the middle of, of Jesus cleansing the earth, God catches the church away before the wrath of God falls. And here at the very, very end of this hellacious time, when the literal judgment of God falls, God in his grace and mercy takes care of his people before the judgment falls. Here's what you need to know. 
God will eventually right every wrong. If you've been living long enough, there are times that you you've have felt like justice wasn't done to you. Somebody took advantage of you. Life wasn't fair. This person got away with it. Listen, you know what? In God's economy, nobody gets away with anything. Every sin is always judged. Yes or no? So for us as believers, the cool thing is God took my sin and your sin and placed it on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had no sin of his own. And Jesus became our sin sacrifice. And he became the way, the truth, and the life for us. And you know, for me, you know, regardless of what happens, regardless of what happens with America, regardless of what happens with the elections we're in the middle of right now, it's so crazy. Regardless, you know, we, belo- we don't belong to this earth. We belong to him. We belong to God. We belong to Jesus. He's got a purpose and plan. He's going to take care of us. And here's what God wants us to do. I'm telling you, we need to get our eyes off of what's happening now and get our eyes on the sun, eyes on Jesus. That lamb, Revelation 14, 1, that lamb appeared on Mount Zion. He was watching everything. And you know what? That same lamb is watching over you today. Is that good? So Lord, thank you so much. I'm humbled, sir, just to even be able to talk about the things you showed John on this island. And here we are at the very end of, um, of, of earth as we know it. And there'll be a new heavens and new earth. And here we are. We talked about it in these chapters here, Lord. Thank you for your grace that is coming to every person that's listening. Thank you for the grace of Jesus. Thank you for the privilege, sir, of knowing you. And I just pray for any person in the room, any person watching, they've never made Jesus Lord. I'm asking you. I'm asking you to draw them and deal with them, whoever it may be, and never leave them alone until they're willing to acknowledge they're a sinner in need of a Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.